message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So looking forward to Christmas? Yeah, that's a, that's a very positive yes, wasn't it, actually? That, which, is, which is great. <laughs> that's uh, good. I wonder what does... Um, People ask the question, don't they? What does Christmas mean to you? And I guess if we were to all answer that, maybe we'd come up with, you know, uh, different answers. But um, what was interesting is the religion and society think tank, think tank called Theos have uh, recently done some research, and they asked people what they thought Christmas was really about. And the overwhelming majority, 83% said that they thought it was about, what do you reckon? Mince pies, family, any others? Presents? Santa? Jesus. <laughs> Good, it's always the right answer, isn't it? But not on this case. Actually, 83% of people in the UK said they thought it was about spending time with family and friends. So, David, you win the fridge. Well done. Um, and then three in five, or about, I think it was 62%, so about three in five, said that it was a time when we should be generous to people less fortunate than ourselves. Which ties in nicely with our offering earlier, doesn't it? So I wonder, what is it for you? What is it for you this Christmas? Anybody seen the John Lewis ad this year? Some of, some of you have. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm sure you'll see it perhaps over Christmas if you end up watching any television at all. And it's a, it's a great advert. It was probably one of the, um, the first ones that came on this year. There's always the Coca-Cola advert at Christmas, isn't there? So everyone looks forward to that one. But the, the, I'll tell you, this, this John Lewis ad this year is excellent. And if you haven't seen it, the, the advert is this. You've got this uh, little boy and he's excitedly looking forward to Christmas, as only little boys can. And uh, you, you see him sort of looking at the dates and saying, oh, Christmas is still, still a little, what, little while away. And uh, he's sort of watching the clock go. And you can imagine him thinking, you know, he's, he's just wanting to get all these presents that he's anticipating being delivered uh, by Santa on Christmas Eve uh, to him. And so the advert goes on and uh, eventually the clock clicks over into Christmas Day, and you see him wake up, and the camera pans back, and there at the end of his bed is the expected delivery of his presents, but you see him run past that, go to his cupboard and pull out a a rather randomly wrapped (laughs) present, it has to be said, and run into his parents to give them their Christmas presents. And what he's evidently been looking forward to is not receiving presents at Christmas, but rather the opportunity to give a present at Christmas. And it sort of twists the expectation, which is why it's a good advert, and it works. Um, But it's an interesting twist there that they've put into it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed singing carols this morning. Have you? I I, I played, uh, our, our girls used to go to a preschool before they were at, at uh, infant school and they asked me to go back and play for their Christmas well production would be a rather elaborate word sort of nativity play thing on, on Friday so I, I did that and they go well, I haven't played carols in a year and probably last year I hadn't played carols since the previous year and he said out comes a book and I've been practicing again this week but it's great singing those 
But Christmas isn't just about singing carols. And it isn't just about even giving, not receiving presents, but rather it's about celebrating something. But actually you'll find that often, whilst for many people Christmas is something that is celebrated and is looked forward to, for many actually Christmas is something they have to endure and get through rather than look forward to and enjoy. I wonder if that describes you. You're thinking, oh, I've just got to get through it. I've just got to cope with it. You know, all these relatives are going to arrive and land on my door. And, uh, you know, I've just got to get through the, in a few days. Some of you are nodding. <laughs> but maybe that describes you. Maybe it's not just relatives or it's other stress of this time of year. I don't know. But research a few years ago by the Samaritans found that 60% of the UK population found the festive period, that's Christmas and New Year, a difficult or stressful time. In one year, they found that calls to their helpline during that period of time, over Christmas and New Year, went up by over 17%. So for many people, Christmas is difficult, and it's a pressure. And particularly with the commercialism of Christmas now and the difficulties that we find in the economy, for many, Christmas can be a real challenge. And actually for us, what we find in this country, much of what we celebrate at Christmas has got more to do with the Victorian invention of the festival than it has with biblical truth. If you think about what a traditional Christmas card might look, look like, it's a sort of Victorian scene of Victorian England, isn't it? It's like, well, that's not a biblical story. It's a Victorian invention. So what I want to do this morning, and uh, I'm trusting we won't take too long over it, is to direct us back to the biblical accounts of the birth of Christ. And perhaps refocus us, recalibrate us, if you like, in terms of what Christmas should be about and what the Bible story has to say to us this morning. I want to, if you like, look at what's at the centre of Christmas. So that's what we'll do in the the few minutes that we have ahead of us. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would speak to us. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to reflect and think about uh, what's at the very heart and centre of Christmas. We pray that you might speak to us, speak to our hearts as we do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning we've heard the Christmas story read to us by a number of people. So, Charlotte, uh, her first reading uh, was from Isaiah. And Isaiah was prophesying, he was looking forward to the birth of Jesus, how it was, how it was going to happen. And then John read to us from, uh, from Matthew and told us about Mary and Joseph finding out what was going to happen. And the reading that Catherine read to us from Luke gave us the account of the birth of Christ and the visit of the shepherds. And then the second reading from Matthew that Susan read to us gave us the account of the visit of the Magi, or as we often call them, wise men from the East. And so what I want to do is just make one comment from each of these readings. So we've heard the passages read to us. I want to bring out one thing from each of them to hopefully help recalibrate us this Christmas and help us to focus on what should be at the very heart of this celebration that will be uh, happening over the next couple of weeks. So first of all, uh, Charlotte read to us then from Isaiah the prophet and from Isaiah chapter 9. And so Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet 
He, uh, he was born around 740 BC and lived uh, to at least 681 BC. And he made a number of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. And what we've got that Charlotte read to us is, is just one of those. And uh, he was looking forward to something that hadn't yet happened. He was looking forward, he was saying, this is how it's going to be, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen at some point in the future. Interestingly, the whole of the Old Testament, so uh, all that period of the Bible, is a document that was written over about a thousand years by a whole number of different authors. And uh, in the Old Testament, there are over 300 references to Jesus' coming. So in, in, this, in, this, in these writings, these different books over a thousand year period, over 300 references to Christ's coming. Now, if you're anybody a maths expert here, before I, you know, yeah, apart from the obvious, so one or two maths experts. Okay, so some probability here. The probability of just 48 of these statements or prophecies being fulfilled in one person at one time is 1 in 10 to the power 157. Which is 1 in 10 within 157 noughts. Now I was thinking of writing it out for you this morning, but I couldn't get a piece of paper long enough. But it's a big number. You know, even the maths experts would agree it's, it's, a, it's a fairly big number. Now that's just 48 of these statements or prophecies about Christ's coming. There are over 300 in the Old Testament. It's remarkable. See, God knew when it would be, he knew how it would happen, and what it was going to be like. And so it wasn't hard for him to be able to communicate that to the prophets of the time, that they could write it down and look forward to an event that was going to happen. Now, you couldn't make it up if you tried. It's just far too difficult. But let's just hone in on one of these verses from Isaiah, which is this one, in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's a, you know, it's a verse you often hear read over Christmas, isn't it? It's that you know, great looking forward to the birth of Christ. Now, one of my favourite pieces of music is uh, Handel's Messiah. And if you've ever heard that, you can't fail to hear the Isaiah verse and be reminded of Handel setting it to wonderful music. I thought about putting it on earlier, actually. I, was, I gave the iPod to James, thought it's going to be carols, or it's going to be Messiah. We went for carols in the end. Maybe we'll finish a bit later with some music from the Messiah. We shall see. If you want something different to play over Christmas that isn't the standard Christmas carol album, then Handel's Messiah would be certainly one I'd highly recommend. But as I was preparing this week, I felt God highlight this verse to me. It really sort of came alive in a, in a fresh, fresh way. And what, what Isaiah is doing here is he's describing some characteristics of Jesus. So he's looking forward to someone that hasn't you know, come as a human baby yet. And he's describing him. And I felt God highlight these, these characteristics and I think this morning that what some of you need to hear is not just that this is you know, a, a description of Jesus 
It's not just that he will be called, so it's not like it's just his name is. But it's much more than that. It describes what he's like. It isn't just being called a name. It's saying he is these things. He will be these things. And it's not just that, just that he was these things then, but the important thing for us this morning is that he is these things now. So let's look at them. So he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I wonder, do any of you need to know that this morning? It's not just, just way back in time, as Isaiah looked forward to Christ's birth and he was born, that, and that was his name. No, 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 no. It describes what he was like, not just then, but now also. So if you're struggling to make sense of life this morning, if you're struggling to work through confusion and difficulty, then what Isaiah teaches us here is that he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, maybe some of you have have been to a counsellor and talked through some issues of life. And you've talked through it with somebody. It may be somebody that your GP recommended, or it may be a Christian counsellor that you went to and said, I just need some help working through some of these things in my life. That's not unusual. The people often do that. But what Isaiah teaches us here is actually Jesus will be called and therefore is the wonderful counsellor. So actually this morning, not just then, but now, if you're thinking, I wonder if there's somebody I could talk to about how I'm feeling. I wonder if there's somebody that I could open up my heart to. I wonder if there's somebody that would understand what's going on inside. What this says is Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. You will not get a better one. Even the most qualified and experienced in practice counsellor that can help you isn't the wonderful counsellor but Jesus is and anybody else that we might go to and share life with and ask them to help us that may well be helpful to us we may need that but they're not the wonderful counsellor they're but a shadow of what Jesus can bring to us it's not just he was a wonderful counsellor then he is a wonderful counsellor now what's the next one? Well, it's mighty God. So, are you needing God to break into your life, into your situation? Are you hoping for the power of God to be manifest in your life? What does it say? Isaiah says he's a mighty God. He's not just any God, he's the mighty God. There isn't any other God who even comes close to him. He is the mighty God. And it's not just true then, it's true now. Do you see it? It's not just Isaiah was saying, oh, you know, he'll be born and he'll be called these things. That'd be nice. No, no, no. He was these things then. He is these things now. There are lots of other so-called gods in our world that might put themselves up for worship or adoration. They're not the mighty gods. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. There is no one who even comes close. There's a great story in the Old Testament, we don't have time to look at it this morning, of um, when one of Israelite's uh, enemies captured the ark, which is uh, where the presence of God dwelt. And they, they took it away and put it inside their temple to another god. 
And the, the story is, 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 is hilarious, actually. It's a great story because they come down next morning and find their so-called God fallen flat on his face as though he was worshipping at, uh, at the presence of the Lord. And they sort of stick him up again and sort of nail him up, put some extra glue in and lo and behold, they come down the following morning and there he is smashed to pieces. You see, nobody else can stand and say, well, I'm really the God in God's presence because he is and he alone is mighty God's. What about the next one? It says, he is everlasting father. Do you need to know a father's love this morning? What does Isaiah tell us? He is the everlasting father. So for some of you, you would have had a great experience of a human father. Maybe you still got that father around and you can think, yeah, he was a great dad and he still is. And that's great. For some of you, you may say, well, actually, I never had that experience or I never knew what it was for my dad to say that he loved me or that I'd done well or that he was proud of me. What does Isaiah say to you? Well, he talks about Jesus and he says he's the everlasting father. God is the everlasting Father. There will never be another Father that even comes close. Even the best experience of a human dad you could possibly imagine. God is even greater than that. I was hearing, I was listening to a preach this week by a friend of mine. He was talking in a baptism service and he was using the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. Maybe you've heard of it where this son goes to his father and says, Dad, I want the inheritance money. I want the cash that I'm going to get when you die. Give it to me now. Bit of an insult to his father, really. He's like saying, I want you dead. But rather than being given a, a good hiding, <laughs> what his dad does is he says, okay. And he gives him, the, you know, he sells off the land, whatever he needs to do, he gives him the money. And the son goes away and squanders the wealth that he's inherited. And eventually he comes to his senses, thinking this is crazy after all his money is gone and there's nothing left. And he's hungry and destitute and decides, well, if I go back and maybe get a job on my father's farm, maybe I can at least live and eat there. And Jesus tells the story because the son goes back and uh, as he goes back, he finds that not he's going to be disciplined by his father and rebuked for squandering this vast sum of money, but rather he's accepted and he's loved and he's embraced. And his father, in fact, runs to him, welcomes him home. It's like he's been standing at the edge of the drive, wondering if today is the day he's going to come home. Jesus is talking about what it's like when God looks out, waiting for us to return. Because he loves us to return to him. What does Isaiah say? He says, he is the everlasting father. He's not going to run out of patience with you. He's not going to think, well... I've welcomed you back so many times, <laughs> but you've really blown it now. I'm just going to give up on you. He doesn't do that. He says, no, he's the everlasting father. There will not be another father like this. It's describing Jesus. It's describing the Lord, the everlasting father. What about the last one here? It says that Jesus will be called the Prince of Peace. Has life got busy? <laughs> Has it got a bit stressful? Seemingly out of control. You're not quite sure where to turn. What does Isaiah say to us? He is the Prince of Peace. If you need peace in your life this morning, then what Isaiah is telling us here is, actually Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He will bring peace and understanding to you like nothing 
else can. It's not that that was his name when he was born. He's like, oh, that's nice. That's a nice name, isn't it? And it didn't really mean anything. What Isaiah is telling us now is, no, no, he is these things. Friends, please hear this. This is, I feel so important to us. So those of you who are at the prayer meeting on, some, on Tuesday night, you'll know that I said to the assembled crowd, I said, I need you to pray for me. And uh, I need you to, to pray that I'll know what it is I'm going to speak about on Sunday. Because I, I've, done, I, I've lost count of the number of Christmas talks I've done over the years in different churches. And you think, I just want to come at it afresh, not do the same old thing. And as I sat down to prepare this on Wednesday morning, suddenly it just seemed to come alive. These verses in Isaiah, which I, I've read countless times. I was like, oh, I just saw it afresh. And what I'm praying for and hoping for you this morning is that you might see it afresh. Maybe you don't even know the Lord yet. You're perhaps here with a friend or you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian. Well, this morning you could know it. This morning you could experience his love, the everlasting Father. You could experience the peace that only Jesus can bring to your life. Maybe for the very first time Christmas might be different for you. Or maybe you can come back to the Lord if you've been walking with him but just things didn't quite work out and you've, you've been away from him. Then maybe this Christmas could be different as you return to him. Maybe for the first time or once again you can worship him as the risen Lord Jesus. We're not going to spend as long on the other verses but just to pull out something from each of them. John read to us from uh, Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew tells us about the angel who visited Joseph. And uh, he visited Joseph to reassure him what was going on. Because if you think about it, Joseph, we're told, was betrothed to Mary. So that's a bit stronger than our engagements, but they certainly weren't married yet. And, you know, one day Mary comes along and goes, Oh, I've got some news for you, Joe. <laughs> you never guess what. I'm pregnant. Now, imagine what was going through Joseph's mind. And Mary continued, oh yeah, and it's conceived by the Holy Spirit. We're not told exactly what Joseph's reaction may have been at that point, if he heard it quite like that. But we are told that an angel came to him to explain it to him and reassure him what was going on. And Luke tells us that an angel came to Mary as well to explain to her what was going to happen to her. This was clearly a busy time for the angelic host. This was not a time to be taking vacation. They were in demand and well used, it seems. But my point is this. It's not about expecting angels to come and guide you and to turn up on your way home. But it is being open to God leading you and speaking into your situation. Both Mary and Joseph needed that. They needed to know the Lord speaking into their situation, and he did. So, I expect that at some point in 2012, maybe even now as we come to the close of 2011, you will, or maybe you are, facing a situation which is perplexing, troubling, confusing perhaps. You're not quite sure which way to turn. You're unsure about how things are going to work out, what it's quite going to look like. Well, it's in those moments you need to be open to God speaking. It's in those moments you need to be saying, Lord, what are you saying here? You see, God does speak in those moments if we give him space to. But often life is too busy and we sort of crowd out the quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. 
God does speak. And he reassures. And Joseph, he was spoken to, and he acted on it, and he remained faithful. I mean, can you imagine what it was like in the village? So, he would, they, Joseph and Mary would have been known, and uh, they would have been familiar characters, probably in the village, and people would have seen that Mary was starting to get slightly larger in the stomach area over a period of months. And they knew that it wasn't just she'd started eating more, but they knew she was pregnant. And can you imagine the gossip that would have gone round? I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but just think about typical village life. Can you imagine the stories that may have been spoken about? I mean, have you heard about Mary? You know, I wonder what's really going on there. Joseph remained faithful. Even against the uh, gossiping of people against him and Mary, he trusted God. And he stayed true to what God had spoken to him about. I want to urge us this Christmas. Let's remain faithful like he did. Let's stay true to what God has said, even when circumstances are trying to pull us in the other direction. In the third reading from Luke 2 that Kat read to us, we heard about the birth of Jesus and the subsequent visit of the shepherds. Well, I could say lots about it being interesting. The first visitors to Jesus were not rich and uh, wealthy, you know, high in society people. They weren't even the religious rulers. They were lowly, poor, probably uneducated, and most likely smelly shepherds. They were the first visitors to Jesus. Shepherding was a necessary but rather looked down upon profession. Clearly people needed the shepherds, but it was rather despised. And so were they. But what's interesting is, is not that necessarily... But we're told in verse 7 that there was, when Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem, we're told that there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there's some discussion amongst the commentators what they meant by the word inn. Was it an inn in the the variety that we would think of? Probably not a premier variety. But was it that sort of travel lodge type accommodation where they'd sort of shown up, they'd booked online and they got there and... As often happens in these places, the room was double booked, they'd sold it to somebody else and there was nowhere for them to go. There may have been something like that, or was it perhaps a guest room in a relative's house where they were hoping to and expecting to stay? Well, actually, it could have been either. But either way, we're told that Jesus ends up being put in a manger, a feeding trough of the animals, because the normal space was occupied, maybe by others returning home, for the census, or maybe by officials who were carrying out the census themselves. There's no room at the inn, is a classic nativity line, isn't it? You know, if you're watching a kid's nativity play, you know, the, the well-rehearsed line when Mary and Joseph knock on the door is that this kid has been drilled into them to say, there's no room at the inn. You hear it in every nativity play, because it's what happens. So my question for you this morning comes from the last line of an old hymn or carol which goes like this. I won't sing it for you. I will just read it. No room for the baby in Bethlehem's inn. Only a cattle shed. No room on this earth for the dear Son of God. Nowhere to lay his head. Only a cross do they give to my Lord. Only a borrowed tomb. Today he is seeking a place in your hearts. Will you still say to him, no room? 
Are you making room in your heart for Jesus this Christmas? In your celebrations? In your life? Are you giving him the rightful place that he should have? Now, final reading that Susan read to us from Matthew um, described the visit of the Magi coming to see Jesus. Now, the Christmas carol, We Three Kings of Orient Are, doesn't really help us here. The Bible doesn't say that there are three. It certainly doesn't give us their names. We're just told that there were three gifts that they brought. So what do we learn from their story? Well, we learn that the Magi travelled a fair distance in order to worship Jesus. They knew that this was one significant baby. Bear in mind, he had only recently been born. He hadn't achieved very much yet. It's not that here was somebody of notoriety or fame or even who had started preaching. No, they went to worship a little child. And even though they were wise, respected, probably wealthy, the other end of the social spectrum compared to the shepherds, they bowed the knee and worshipped. Now, they didn't know all that we know about Jesus because now we look back. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures. They didn't have 2,000 years of, of Christian history. But we do. And we know that this baby, this child, grew up to be a man. The God-man. Jesus Christ himself. Fully God and fully man. And it was this Jesus that some 33 years later was cruelly crucified on a cross, dying a painful and humiliating death on a Roman cross. Because things had gone wrong? Things hadn't worked out as was planned? No. Because things had gone right. And it worked out exactly as was planned. You see, Jesus died and paid the price for your sin. He died in your place. He took the punishment of God on himself in order that you might not have to. You see, someone had to bear the punishment and Jesus said, I'll take it. The wise men worshipped at the baby Jesus. Friends, this morning, my question is this. Will you worship the risen Lord Jesus? So, let's wrap up. Maybe the band can come up as we uh, conclude, please. What's at the centre of your Christmas this year? What's going to be right at the heart of the celebration? Is it the arrangements? Is it the presents that still need wrapping? Or for some of you, maybe still need buying. Is it, is it the food? Is it the turkeys? Is it makes, making sure you've got everything in that you, you've planned? Is it the late night dash on Christmas Eve to the petrol station around the corner to get the present that you'd forgotten or the food that should have been purchased? Is it the arrangements of which parents are going to be seen at which point over the Christmas festivities? What is it for you? What's at the very centre of Christmas? What's at the heart of it? Will it be Jesus? Will it be him? I want to encourage us this year, whether maybe for the first time, or whether maybe you're making a step back to return to the Lord, or maybe once again this year, let's put Jesus at the very heart of Christmas. Let's worship the risen Lord this Christmas time. Can we stand together? I'm going to pray. And um, we're going to sing a song that isn't a carol, 
to start with, and I'm going to make a few other comments, and we'll finish in a moment with a carol. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this Christmas story. Thank you for the wonderful truth of it. Thank you that we've been able to spend a few moments reflecting on it this morning. And I want to pray, Father, for each of us here, that this Christmas time it would come alive to us in a fresh way. That, Lord Jesus, this Christmas time, you would be at the very centre of our celebrations. That you would be right at the heart of it. That this Christmas would be about you. Thank you for the joy that it brings, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to see friends and family, for presents that we uh, receive and give. But, Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus. We thank you at this Christmas time we can celebrate his birth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can celebrate all that you have done and accomplished for us. Please continue to speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I'd like us to, uh, to sing Jesus Be the Centre. As a sort of, if you like, a declaration, a prayer, if you like, of where Jesus should be this Christmas time. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.